Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I like to be called Shangguan Jiawen in Chinese. I am originally from uh, California in the United States, but now I am living in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Bebe. Hi, this is Bebe from Beijing. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Well, I wanted to talk about a train derailing. So I had been watching the last couple weeks. There's been a lot of news articles about how uh, people have been stealing packages off of the Amtrak in the Los Angeles area. And I I kept reading this and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. You know, kind of like the old West when they used to rob trains. But then a few. (laughs) But very, very recently, Uh uh, an Amtrak derailed. 17 cars went off the tracks because there were so much like garbage left over from looters. The looters had just left left boxes and stuff that they didn't want all over the tracks. So one of the trains went off, according to AP. Uh, and so there's an article that came out on MSN called Train Derails Near LA Site of Recent Wave of Cargo Thefts. Hmm. And it's really interesting to me. I mean, I hope no one's got hurt. I Presumably right. this is the, this is a, like a, an, a just stuff. It's not like okay. people are on these kind of trains. So I think it's mostly affected like just maybe the driver and then a bunch of cars. So hmm. probably no one was hurt, I hope. Yeah. But, you know, but I think Let's this t- talks right. about two things that I'm interested in. One is like wealth inequality hmm. because there are people having this steal stuff to supplement like their lifestyle or income or whatever Mm. maybe they're selling at pawn shops or whatever to their friends or something Mm -hmm. the other thing is like infrastructure so like Mm. that it shows two things it shows that there's you know wealth inequality is driving people to have to steal from trains which is really bizarre Mm. this sounds like something from like the 1800s in a cowboy movie and the other thing is like the state of the infrastructure in the u.s is like Mm. you know so bad that we get derailings because the cardboard boxes (laughs) are on the track well, I don't know what it takes um, to derail trains, um, but yeah. I, I can think of something else, though, because, um, you know, when people are poor, not all poor people steal or take things from others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think part of the problem is also the employment issue, right? It's um, I think sometimes it's poverty, but coupled with the fact that people are idle mm. when they see no channels to go up. Like there's no hope of finding something decent mm. that they need. Then they find something else to do with the time they have on hand. So I think when we talk about employ uh, like poverty issues, it's um a, a big part of it is actually finding things to do, finding proper things to do, right? For people who need um a channel in, in on which they can progress or they can move up. Mm. So that's, uh, I guess, at least three things. Yeah. yeah. Tackling on poverty, inequality, employment, and also infrastructure. Um, About infrastructure in the States, like if you compare the metro stations, you know, in the US, like say in New York City, with the ones that are in some cities in China, where these Mm. uh, Mm. stations are uh, newly built, Mm. you see huge Mm. differences. Yeah. But one of the reasons is because um, the, the ones in the US were built so much earlier yeah right because you had it so much earlier it was so advanced in the past and then you know it's uh it's a tougher job to uh, make the effort to redo the whole thing again Mm. well because we were 
you know, falling behind for so long. And now that finally catching up, we're just going to have the newest thing. Mm, mm, so mm. that's another reason why, you know, a lot. In, if you compare if you compare them now, you see a huge difference. Mm. Um, yeah, it's because we were, you know, so behind for so mm. long. You know, so. they passed this um, infrastructure bill. And what I find is really interesting. I heard. Is that mm-hmm. Biden is a huge uh, fan of Amtrak. So one of the things that went into the congressional bill is like rebuilding Amtrak. Mm. Now, I th- find this really interesting because what you of what you're just saying, you know, like China's got the newest stuff, mm. so they have the, all the coolest toys that all the kids in the neighborhood want. Mm. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, but like rebuilding Amtrak really just brings it back to the high quality that it was when it was first built. Mm. It almost seems to me like a huge waste of money to rebuild Amtrak to its the its glory days instead mm. of just replacing it with something better. Like glory days back in the 80s or what? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure when Amtrak was built. I guess different lines were built at different time, mm. but it was it was it's decades and decades old minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, just at, at least decades and decades old. It seems like we shouldn't really just be rebuilding Amtrak so that you have these trains mm-hmm. that travel at like I don't know 80 miles an hour. It seems like what you <laughs> what you would want to do is start replacing lines with new technology with high-speed rail so maybe Mm -hmm. ideally spending maybe a little bit more but instead of rebuilding amtrak to be better replacing amtrak with something better might be the way to go that gets complicated though because you know i'm just thinking because let's say if they want to do the high-speed rail Mm. there are a few countries that are really good at this right they can Mm. go to europe Mm. um like france uh switzerland Mm. or they can go to japan or china or they can or china but then things get political, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then a lot of uh, there will be a lot of trade and business deals between the two. So, you know, I guess it's not as easy as it sounds. And also, so with that bill, are they going ahead with it? Like, has everybody put in their yeses and say we're going to do this? It was passed. It was signed at the end of last year. Okay. But I mean, it's not actually enough. So really, this money is just like a drop in the bucket in terms of like the kind oh, of re- rebuilding that needs to, to go on. So the logistics mm. are really not going to pr- improve. It's just going to make some really it's not all going to Amtrak. It's going to different places. So mm-hmm. a lot of it's to make sure that bridges don't collapse. Oh, you know, a lot of it's yeah, because, you know, there are a lot of these old bridges that are in desperate need of repairs. Mm. And so a lot of them money is going to go into just rebuilding roads, rebuilding freeways, rebuilding bridges, making sure that all of the infrastructure that was originally built can continue Mm -hmm. to be safe for people, really. Mm. Uh, Not not a lot of it's going to get things better. It's just to make sure things are still good enough. Don't collapse, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. When when I hear about these projects, I mean, they sound really good. But I'm also worried about the national debt. Mm. You know, like who's actually paying for these? Mm. Are they going to do it like a private market way, like the free market way? Whoever wants to win the bid or Mm. is the government allocating money for this? And where will that money come from? Mm. It gets a little. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know enough about it. But I think projects like this, they take forever. Yeah. It'll take a long time. Probably uh, most likely cross uh, um, cross over. Um, from like the current government mm. and administrations. Mm. So I don't know. I guess you can keep us updated on mm. that. Well, we'll we'll see how it continues to develop over the coming months and years, mm-hmm. because this is, like you said, not going to happen next week. You know, this is going to take a long time right. to implement and roll out and develop this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we did see in the last 10 or 15 years, a few bridge collapses, oh. which was really scary. And it really alerted the American people to, to the problem mm-hmm. of infrastructure, which is not, you know, that's not the spiciest thing. People don't talk, sit around, 
typically talking about infrastructure. <laughs> right. You know, people. Yeah, that's not like, oh, you know, my friend Jane and I came over and we were talking about the bridges the other day. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Or building the high rail train. <laughs> yeah, and things it's, like that. yeah, it's not exciting. It's not the most exciting thing. So the fact that bridges had to collapse for people to take it seriously shows that it is very serious. Mm, that's true. Um, and I mean, on China's end, I guess um, we've been doing a lot of these work almost silently for a long time. Mm. And it wasn't until recently, it seems like the, the world's starting to notice that, you know, China seems rather advanced now when it comes to its infrastructure. Yeah, there's um, so many YouTube videos about it now. Yeah, but actually it's it's been happening for decades, right? It's just now mm. that seemed things are like the puzzle pieces are falling in places. And then you start to see the grander picture, but it was it wasn't the work of a year or two, or maybe like more mm. than a decade or two. Mm. So mm. it takes time. It takes time, and it takes money and proper management. You know, you, you did mention so. like three things about the robberies and the train derailment. Interesting to me because we have actually low unemployment. We have three point nine percent unemployment, which is actually just means people looking for work. So there may be people mm. that are not in, they're not actually looking for work anymore because of early retirements and all these things. Mm -hmm. But like, like you mentioned, a lot of the jobs out there are very low paying. Mm. So even though there's not a lot of unemployment for those people who are actually actively looking to have work, mm -hmm. there are still very low paying jobs for the people who have managed to find work. And so this creates the kind of inequality that not doesn't cause theft, mm -hmm. but contributes to it being a problem. Mm. Because certainly if people were being paid enough, mm -hmm. they wouldn't need to go like rob from, you know, trains. Or if they're kept busy. Yeah, yeah. Right? If they have enough jobs. Um, I don't know. I think one other reason, this might sound bad. Uh, one other reason might be that because of the social uh, like benefit network, mm, 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 right? Because mm. you can get... Uh, these benefit packages for what well, at least a few months mm -hmm. if you are let's say you just lost your job yeah and you can still get a few hundred dollars per week i think mm -hmm. so it's like you know it's enough to cover the most basics and nowadays especially with the pandemic i think there are it, it, it seems like you know every few months you hear that the government is handing out money again mm. right um like a couple of thousand maybe a thousand or two thousand dollars per family member, something like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's good in the way that it's going to help people um, to meet the emergencies, right? Mm -hmm. If they're behind on rent or things like that. But another effect of that is that people feel like they might do okay just on welfare, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe I don't really have to go work in a shop for like $10 an hour, mm -hmm. right? And I, I might have to end up paying taxes, um mm. on top of that so i think this is maybe it's a bit of a controversial issue um when it comes to welfare mm. also if you i heard that if you have a couple kids right mm -hmm. you can uh, they're like you can get a few hundred dollars on social welfare you know i really don't know but I, i've heard that too it is very controversial but i'm actually mm. i don't know all the facts very well issue about poverty is very very complicated and it's not mm -hmm. as we think right if you really go in and study each cases i think you're going to be shocked by um 
how the details actually pan out.、Mm. Um, a lot of it is about psychology, right? How people feel being poor and whether or not they have the opportunity to climb out of that trap or that hole. Yeah. Um, and also, what are the right policies? It's it's hard to say, and I think that's why. Uh, you know, from the I just finished reading Poor Economics, and、mm-hmm. it was very insightful in that it opened my mind to one thing, and it isn't specifically about poverty.、Um, what it reminded me to do is that do not judge. Yeah. Right. Do not judge. Try to understand, because what the whole book is trying to tell its readers is that it's not a simple issue. Yeah. Of just handing out money. Yeah. Each each case could be different.、Hmm. I mean, each locality, each family could face、um, different problems, and they have their own ways of thinking. Like、um, it might sound bad, but、uh, you know, rich people and poor people in many ways think differently,、hmm. right? You know, a poor a rich person will come over and tell you, "Oh, you know, he or she is poor because she doesn't save money." Right, she spends everything she earns,、mm. or you know, she doesn't have the vision to do long time planning,、mm. or the family isn't spending enough on education, so their you know their kids don't have the future.、Um, they can have all these reasons,、mm. um, you know, or、uh, they you know they blame it on the poor for not being able to make it. But what they don't understand is when you are at that position,、yeah. when you have literally no cushion,、mm. right? You are actually living. Your everyday existence is living through a financial crisis,、yeah. like on a daily、yes. basis. Now, in the West, when people we've had serious financial crisis, and hopefully, you know, we don't head into another major one. It seems like we're always on the brink. <laughs>、uh, but and people take it very seriously, right? When you hear the word financial crisis,、yeah. now imagine the poor, especially the bottom, like on a world scale.、Mm. They are they live in that every single day.、Mm. They 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 earn a little bit of money, maybe enough to cover the day. They have nothing for the future for tomorrow,、yeah. and that impact on people's psychology can be so deep. Yeah, like you, we, us, like the middle class, where people have even richer than us, we can't imagine、mm-hmm. what that's like.、Mm-hmm. So you know, after reading that book, I feel like I, I if you don't understand. At least, do not be condescending. Yeah, you know, do not be like, oh, you know, you are poor because you are this, 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 this. You don't actually understand. Yeah, their actions the, because you you are not in their shoes. It's not much of a choice to choose between should I be able to feed my kids or save so I can have wealth. <laughs>、mm-hmm. You need to feed your kids. Yeah, or you know, in many families, maybe they have to um pour pull a few kids out of school、yeah. so that they can send the brightest one. Right,、hmm. and then comes someone saying, "Oh, you should invest in your all your kids' future in your education." And then you know, here comes the question: What if I put all my kids through school, right, with the little money that I make? I I will eat less every day so that my kids can all go to school. But once they graduate, will there be enough good jobs、hmm. for them? Will it be a fruitful investment? Right. Now you you know without worrying about all this, you can say,、oh, "Of course, you know, better education, better opportunities." 
But it might not be that case, 100%, right? It is that case, even even a little Mm -hmm. bit, actually. Increasingly, a big debate has erupted in the United States over student loans and like the fact Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are graduating with bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. Increasingly, Mm -hmm. they have no opportunities to make more than the person already working at Starbucks. So like Mm -hmm. they graduate with a master's degree and like their friend is already the manager of some Rite Aid or something. And like now they Mm -hmm. have to work for them because their friend mm. went straight to work and they didn't and now they have this very fancy education that is mostly useless now if, if, if you if, if you major in stem right from the beginning mm. maybe you have a shot at being middle class but if you get a mm-hmm. major in like history or philosophy or sociology or psychology or something like that you better hope that you're already from a wealthy family because you're when, <laughs> when you get out you're not gonna just like okay well come and work at the philosopher philosophy whatever like there's no there's no job for you based on that education right. and increasingly in today's world like there are niche mar- there are niche positions sure you graduated in a degree in history maybe you'll be one of the lucky people that gets to work at this museum as a curator maybe, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. but most of the people who you graduated with are not going to just get that job they're going to have mm-hmm. a useless mostly useless degree <laughs> and they're going to have to go and like become some they're going to have to retool and get a year degree a right. certificate in teaching so that they can become a teacher right away because that's pretty much the only job they can get and teachers are paid right. below median wages in the US. Exactly. So, and it's a hard job. Can you So struggling imagine? to get educated is mm. is only really useful if you are, you know, and I hope our our young listeners are paying attention mm-hmm. if you are studying math and science because other, otherwise, you know, sorry, I'm sorry that <laughs> that degree in sociology is not useful in the real world. <laughs> oh, this is like Jason has the last word. Bang. <laughs> I'm, sorry, but, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. You are being realistic. I have a master's in history. I have a master's degree in history. Jason like, I, I, I've been through this path. <laughs> don't don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and then, of course, Jason, there will be other successful people giving a talk on TED. Telling young people that you got to follow your passion. You know, if your passion Mm -hmm. is in understanding psychology, then go study psychology. Or if your passion is music or poetry, follow your heart. Oh, God, not poetry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love a good poem, but you're not going to get a job. I mean, maybe you'll be lucky and Hallmark will hire you to make uh, (laughs) Mother's Day cards or something. Yeah. But my my point is saying that, you know, there are different voices. And because of uh, a lot of uh, influential figures, you know, like Steve Jobs giving speeches mm-hmm. right he would tell people to follow your dreams right to, didn't to, he drop out of college he did and all that right a lot of <laughs> famous people they drop out but there there are many many other reasons why they, they succeeded right and maybe mm-hmm. they just mm-hmm. didn't need that college education hey speaking of which i have to mention that um the price of getting a college education in the states is just crazy and it has been crazy for long for a long period of time um that is something that maybe we should should do something about but you may like state state universities are a little better um the private ones are Mm, they're still they're still crazy okay a state university in the united states still costs like i don't know 10 times more than most of the the competing universities in other countries. So you mm. go to like your Germany, France, Sweden, China, Japan, all these places. The universities are like 
10, 15% of the cost of a state university mm. in the United States. So a lot of people actually, you might want to consider our American listeners, if you're still planning on going to college or even you're just starting college, going abroad to mm. study because it's going to be a lot cheaper. So, you know, maybe think about studying a second language or third language earlier on. Mm. Um, so you have more opportunity to uh, for higher education, you know, not just in the States. Can I tell you a friend of my story? Sure. I have a friend here in China in Wuhan. She's from Jamaica. Mm. Uh, when she was in high school, she was always, all, already taking college courses mm -hmm. and she could, looked around the world at all of her opportunities and she could go. She could have said in the U.S. or in Jamaica or in Europe and she chose to come to China. Mm. So she didn't actually speak Chinese when she arrived. Okay. What she did is the university spent the first year teaching her Chinese. Oh. And then she finished her, her, her medical degree, bachelor's degree was like a combo. Mm. And she spent like five or six years after she learned Chinese. Mm -hmm getting a medical degree. Now she's a certified MD doctor here in Wuhan, China, just come to China to study. Oh, wait, hmm? she started, she, she finished high school in Jamaica and then came here for undergrad and then medical school? Her medical degree was a combination with her bachelor's degree. So it was all one giant, she has a bachelor's degree that was part of the same program that awarded her medical degree. So she actually applied. Was that in China? Yeah, here in Wuhan. Oh, yeah. So, so she, wow. And it was very, affordable. She doesn't have any student loans or debt. Mm. And she's now a qualified medical doctor. She's even working on taking a series of tests mm -hmm. where she'll be able to go practice in the United States. She might be moving to Tennessee someday. So wow. it so is an option to go, go study abroad mm -hmm. and like end up with almost no debt and get the same kind of certifications that you would need el elsewhere in and including in the United States. I can already see you in an advertisement, Jason, <laughs> like <laughs> across a huge billboard, like go for higher education in China, Europe, or, you know, <laughs> Germany, whatever, <laughs> you'll, you know, you'll graduate debt free. But, you know, um, yeah. but it's amazing how she could go through a medical training in Chinese. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's the tough part. I mean, even for like Chinese people, mm. that's mm. like difficult. Mm. I can't imagine. Mm. Yeah. So good for her. Great job. So she's a really interesting story, but you know, like a lot of people, this is a debate and I'm not going to come down on one side. In the United States, a lot of people argue about what should be done about the cost of higher education. Mm. And, you know, some people are saying, oh, it's the university's fault. They're wasting too much money building new facilities they don't need and statues and whatever, <laughs> all this infrastructure overpaying their presidents and things. And then the other side is saying, oh, the government needs to step in and like help the students. Mm. So like there are these two large uh, sides that are they are actually starting to find common points where they can meet. Mm -hmm. But like the problem is far from being solved. And it looks like it's going to take a very long time and a lot of people debating for a very long time to come to some sort of a arrangement to figure it out because the current structure of, of higher education does not work in the United States. Over here in China for this situation is that they consider the American educational system as designed for the elites. Mm -hmm. and now, this is not a judgment. This is their understanding of how the system works. So for, you know, people who think about this uh, here in China, or maybe in other countries, it just seems like the whole system there is designed to select the, the best, right? Mm. The privileged few, the elites, and make sure that they can get the best there is. And that's where you can find, right? The best universities, You're the right, yeah. best research institutions. No one's going to debate that Harvard and, and Stanford are not like in the top right. five. They're, abs they're absolutely leading the way in terms of the quality of education. Right, but there are only so few that can make it in there. 
Now, when they think about the educational system here in China, we understand the, the difference is that it's designed to give the people、um, at the lower or even at the bottom a chance to move upward. It's a it's one of those、um, you know opportunities for they called upward mobility,、mm, mm, mm. and it's、um, I mean you know about the Gaokao system right the college yeah, yeah, entrance yeah. system it's very very different from how universities select their students in the U S.、Um, there are, I mean the way they select students in the U S. it's、uh, it's more. I would say more flexible, more creative. It takes into account of、um, uh, different aspects of the student's quality, right? You you have your essays,、mm. and you have recommendations.、Um, you have a lot more information besides your、uh, like GPA and besides your test scores,、mm. so that、um, you can find more rounded. Uh, people, students, candidates for these universities, people with special talents and all that.、Um, here, there is a little bit of that. Like, if you have special talents, but you got to be like really, really good in what you do, you get extra points. But mainly, it depends on your、uh, score from the college entrance exam, and that score, like, no one can influence that score. Once you take the test, even if you were like the son and daughter of the president,、mm, they won't mm, know it、mm. while they are grading the tests.、Mm. <laughs> you know, you go through the same thing, and so it's the the fairest system、um, that they can think of to give everyone the opportunity. And of course, this means that it's super competitive because、mm. there are only so few elite universities、yeah. um, in the country. So you can imagine the 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 battle. Um, the competition that's involved, so it's a lot of pressure. So good and bad. There's rarely anything in the world that's pure, that's perfect, right? There's always two, at least two sides to the coin. You know, I, as much as I, I completely agree with everything you say, I also know that、um, increasingly there's this group. I think it's called the C9 organization, and it's like an it's a part of the government in China to ensure that some of the universities are becoming like competitive with like you know. Some of the big name Oxford, Berkeley, Stanford, Yale, Princeton kind of names out there.、Oh, so I know that that、hmm. Tsinghua and Peking University, Fudan, Renmin University, and a few others are like in this. It's the letter C and the number nine group of universities where the the where China is focusing on trying to make them world class,、hmm. like you know, for super scholars. But you know, these universities、uh-huh. uh, are just. A really, really amazing. Actually, like I've been,、mm-hmm. I visited a couple of the campuses. They're, they're just as large, prestigious, and beautiful as any campuses I've seen. Super, you know, I, one. I'm kind of, you know,、mm-hmm. we've talked about our nerd habits before. One of the things I used to do in the United <laughs> States, I'd, I'd arrive in a town, and a lot of people will go to、mm-hmm. like the beach or whatever, and I would actually go to the university、right. and like, okay, I'm、mm-hmm. in like a Santa Cruz. Let's go to UCSB and or sorry, UCSC、mm-hmm. and see what the campus is like. And、mm-hmm. so I've been to a lot of campuses,、mm-hmm. and you know, I would do I the same. Yeah. yeah, I went to Tsinghua in in Beijing, and I was just like, "Wow, you know, this is beautiful campus." <laughs> and you're like, "Look at all the nerds riding their bikes." Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like, "Yeah, look at all these nerds. It's my bro. These are my brothers and sisters." And sisters. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. No offense to anyone. <laughs> we actually we admire you guys. You guys are so yeah, smart. Yeah, you are the future.
my wife is a is a Buddhist, and so she's really she opened my eyes to some really interesting things. There's this Buddhist temple in the northwest of Beijing. I don't mm-hmm. remember what it's called, mm. but she we've been there a couple of times, and apparently a lot of the really I can't say the names of them because I don't want to call any of them out. Mm. But there's three three or four of the biggest um like IT mm. companies like that do some of the biggest uh you know have huge impact on the internet in China. Mm. They actually uh had their their ideas came out of this uh, Buddhist campus, this uh, Buddhist really like a uh, temp- temple, which is connected to Peking U- University and Tsinghua, huh. where all these PhDs would go out there and talk about their ideas. Hmm. And it came up with some of the most revolutionary like uh, enterprises that are that we use on a daily basis. Today. Really? Well, I've heard that a few like g- like guys on the at the genius level. Hmm. When it comes to like mathematics and physics, mm. um, I think they were from Tsinghua University. Mm. They were so smart that they're literally like, you know, apart from us. Mm. And they actually, actually um, after all their study, they went to one of those temples, like Buddhist temples. Mm. I don't know if it's the same one you're talking about, mm. but it's like they they saw through it all. You know, they saw through all the things that humans have been striving for. At the end of that tunnel, there's some place so elevated, you know, that's the level they're at. I think they gave up on the things that humans strive for mm. and became like Buddhists. <laughs> that's a very craft, crass way of describing it. But I think they just saw through it all. You know, all the things that we work so hard toward, we work so hard for. Mm. Um, it's probably in the end, not really worth it. You know, I have to print uh, some pictures of famous scientists to put in my science section of the classroom I teach in mm-hmm. for the, the little kids to see and be like, oh, I want to be like that person. So <laughs> okay. I was trying to choose people of like different gender and different from different countries Mm-hmm. And I was looking up Chinese scientists and the guy who invented fiber optics, which is the way that you send light through like a cable to mm-hmm. transfer information technology, mm-hmm. is this Chinese Nobel Prize winner. And he's not living in a Buddhist temple. He's living in his <laughs> mansion in Shanghai. I see. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, that he is. sounds about right. <laughs> Anyhow, so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, wow. We were talking about wealth inequality. We went off a little bit. Yes. <laughs> wealth inequality. Um, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about inequality, uh, the nerd that I am. Mm. And just the other day, I saw this video about this really, really, really wealthy family in the UK. And of course, it's one of those videos where they, you know, they they record their daily lives, the family's daily lives, starting with this perfect, uh, perfectly made cup of coffee. The video is made so that everybody just like, wow, and, you know, feel like that's their dream life. It's not my dream life. But, you know, while I was watching that, the mistress of the family was saying how, oh, yeah, I have about like 50 or 60 rooms in this mansion, but I don't really know any of them. I just use the kitchen, the bedroom, and also the living room, you know, like the basics. Mm. And I was thinking... Um, you know, to have 50 or 60 empty rooms in your mm. house mm. Um, while so many others yeah. don't even have a home yeah. or they might be sleeping on the street. I, I just that just doesn't feel right. There should always be a little bit of inequality. Right. So that people have something to they have something to look forward yeah. to and mm. it keeps the engine going. You know, Plato, Plato said that, too. Plato actually said that. 
2,600 years ago, Plato said that there should be wealth inequality, but it should be about four times. The people at the bottom should be only making like the people at the top should only be making four times what the people at the bottom make. That way people have, you know, the, they have to fight up to get to. But, you know, mm. we, we don't have that. We have where like one percent of the population of the world or even less than that control way more than less than that. Yeah. Control like way more than half of all of the wealth in the entire world. And that's just mm. that's that's not fair. It does. It doesn't make sense to me. I remember listening to one of those uh, talks by uh, a economist, and he mentioned that nowadays we have these two huge mountains. One mountain is just a huge amount of private wealth sitting there. This is the accumulated wealth of the wealthiest individuals in the world. And they don't actually need this money, mm, right? So mm. all that money, they just plow it back into the investment, like the snowball of their mm. wealth just rolling bigger and bigger, like taking away all the mm. flakes of wealth that we have, <laughs> you know, each individual. So that's one mountain just sitting there, not doing much, just rolling. And then the other mountain is a huge mountain of what? Mm. National debt. It's almost to a crippling degree. Hmm. Now, U.S. is lucky in that um, the dollar is used as almost like a global currency. You know, it can afford to keep just printing it out. Um, but still, you know, we have this huge imbalance. Hmm. The The wealth is sitting there, not doing much of anything, twiddling its thumbs and thinking about how he can turn into more money. And then there is this huge pile of national debt. Hmm. And that's like public debt, right? Hmm. So all of us have to pull our money to to pay for that somehow. It's useless. It's waste of uh, wealth just sitting there. Um, but of course, it, this is easy to say. What's the right solution? Um, I mentioned a couple of times the book. It is only about 800 pages. Wow. And it's called Capital in the 21st Century by Thomas Piketty. The main theme would be economic inequality. Because that's a, one of the biggest problems that we face. Mm. And I think in simple words, it's that the, the private rate of return on capital, like money, let's say you have a few million dollars, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to spend all that. You're going to invest it right in the this market or that market so that the money will make more money for you. Yeah. And the rate at which your capital can make money is higher than the growth rate of income mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. just output in general. Yeah. So let's say, Jason, you have like $10 million just sitting in the bank yeah. or in the stock market, right? That's just churning out more money on its own. You don't have to. You can just lie on the beach, yeah. right? Or on your sofa. And then you can hire people to do this. Well, I, on the other end, I am a laborer, okay? I get mm. like a $10 per hour and I work like, what, 10 or 12 hours a day. And you're lucky that you make 10. <laughs> At least you don't make, you make more than a minimum wage already. And you sitting there, Jason, <laughs> thinking that because of her lack of education or because of her uh, lack of insight and her missed opportunities of making investments, you know, she's not the one sitting on the couch and watching TV and see my account just going up. So there are two, you know, at least it's two ways. So if the rate of return on capital, your 10 million, um, let's say is uh, 5% per year or 8%. Well, the growth it's, of- It's 8%, I think I'm doing all right. Oh, if yeah. I'm at 5%, I need new advice. Yeah, but still pretty good, right? Because <laughs> you're not really doing much. But yeah. my on my end, I have to work on an hourly basis. And that income is not growing much, right? Maybe it has been like that for years and years. So this difference, your money just keep rolling more money. Well, my money, you know, I have to, I make- $100 maybe a day, and then I have to spend part of that on rent, on food and everything. 
I don't have much left to invest.、Hmm. So that's all I have now: my growth,、um, my labor, and income.、Hmm. And then these differences: the private rate of return on capital greater than the rate of growth of income and output.、Yeah. They last for a long period of time. So yours just、uh, keep accumulating. Your wealth just keep accumulating. Yeah. While me is just like you know. Making sure that I can meet、paycheck、my base, yeah, meet the yeah. basics, and also the rate of your return is so much higher than the growth of my income. So imagine、yeah. that happening for really long period of time, decades, decades, and、yeah. also because you have your ten million plus whatever money you can make, you are not going to spend it, right? Yeah. If I'm making five, if I'm making half a million in interest a year, and I only spend. Two hundred and fifty thousand a year, which is a lot of money to most people in America.、Mm-hmm. Then I'm still increasing my wealth by two hundred and fifty thousand a year, at least for the fir- first year, and then more than that after right. that. Right. So because the, my interest is increasing on a larger amount of money. Let's say. Yeah. So the the, the person who's only making ten dollars an hour, or God forbid, only minimum wage,、mm. is getting poorer and poorer because they have to rent. They can't afford to buy their own house, and their clothes are、right. more decrepit. Yeah. The situation just becomes worse and worse. And I'm worse. just crawling in my trap, my hole here. Now that's our generation, right? Imagine、mm. our kids.、Mm. Oh, so、wow. by the time you die, let's say seventy years later, you will have tens of millions for your child.、Mm, mm, mm. She's he or she will start with that, while my kid will start with nothing, and then、yeah. your kid will have that all that money rolling in the bank, just keep growing, keep growing, while my kid, oh poor thing, right? So、yeah. inheritance also plays a part into it. I mean,、mm. a lot of the wealth for the wealthy. Um, they come from old money or inheritance,、yeah. like money from their parents.、Um, and there is another layer to this. If you don't think this is bad enough when it comes to inequality,、mm. and another layer is the more capital you have, like the more initial money you have, the easier it is to have re- higher returns. Yeah. If you invest, let's say ten thousand dollars. You might get, let's say, X percentage, right?、Mm-hmm. But you, if you invest with a million dollars, you are gonna get much better service.、Yeah. You can hire a better team to do the investment、mm-hmm. so that you have a higher return. And then imagine ten million, right? A hundred million. Your snowball will get bigger much, much faster than if you just have ten thousand dollars. So we、mm-hmm. have all these layers of、um, forces to make the rich get richer. And the poor stuck at being poor,、mm-hmm. and this divergence, this inequality. This is the base of the problem. Yeah, yeah, and and that's inherent in the capitalist system. It's not like anybody, you know, did something evil on purpose. This is just the system. If you if it's left untouched, this is what it will do.、Um, and this divergence is not just happening on a society level, on a national level. It's happening on、mm-hmm. a global mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. So this、um, and this immense inequality, as I said, you know, there's immense private wealth just sitting there. There, you know, that fifty or sixty rooms,、hmm. just sitting there, not doing much, right? And it's it's not. It doesn't really make that mistress of the family feel any better. I don't think, right? On a, what you think about the fifty empty rooms and just like you know feel so lucky, maybe a little bit. 
you know, for me, I don't think it's kind of, I think it's a waste of resources. You know, I was watching this uh, YouTube video of a, of a woman showing off the house that she's trying to sell. It's like one of the most expensive houses on the market right now. And they were talking, they were showing this kitchen and that kitchen and these bathrooms and those bathrooms. And the 20 minutes into the video, it's like looking at the twenty the 50th bathroom. And I'm like, I would hate to live in this place. It would be so cold and lonely walking along my marble floor to like, <laughs> wait a minute, which bathroom? You my slip. <laughs> this would be awful. Actually, right now I have the biggest apartment I've ever had. I have three bedrooms and I'm like, this is too big. I was thinking about I need a two bedroom place because three bedrooms is too much for me. Mm-hmm. My wife and I and mm-hmm. our cat and her mother are living <laughs> here right now. And it's a kind of a little bit big for us. Yeah. Um, well, if you guys have kids, then it'll be perfect. I think um, in a way that the poor accepts that there is a class in the society mm-hmm. that are better off. Yeah. Because things have always been that way, pretty much. Mm. It's only when the poor sees no, like no hope of having a better life, or they are really they've been struggling not for their generation, but also their parents, theirs, and even the future of their children. And then they feel like something's got to change. Well, if I could use my master's degree real fast in history, which is mostly useless. (laughs) In Rome, they actually had a term for this. They called it bread and circuses. So like back in days in which Rome was the center of Western world, they would literally say people need two things in order for there not to be a revolution Mm. where the rich people will essentially become like, you know, uh, targets mm. <laughs> is like one is one is bread people need to have, be able to eat and two is circuses people essentially need to be entertained so if mm. as long so this this idea although you know it's still used in history to, to today like right now in america we've had more riots in the last 10 years than like the previous mm. several decades and like a lot of that it's not just about the police killing people which is which is something that's happening a lot of it's about mm. people are looting they're they're stealing things because they don't have they look on tv they see all these wealthy families these middle class families Mm. that don't exist you know in the way that Mm -hmm. they once did in the 70s and 80s and they're like i want i want that and then there's a a riot and so they they're taking tvs they're taking nice computers they're taking electronic devices and shoes and things because they want that and they can't get it through their the Mm. a lot of people (laughs) i I don't i'm not advocating for looting or criminality but the symptom of this problem is looting and the, the core pro- root of that problem is that there's wealth inequality right, because and that people can't have the lifestyle that they are they've been promised by society mm-hmm. instead they're trying to feed themselves and it, and what they really want is time to read a book mm. you know and to actually be able to develop themselves because exactly. they're working 60 hours a week and they can barely afford their rent yeah so it's not just poverty it's when you're you're poor and you're angry desperation right then yeah, desperation. When you don't have much to lose that you you take to the streets, right? Mm. Literally. So I, 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 you know, in this huge book, like brick of a book, mm. it says that with an average, I'm quoting from Capital in the 21st Century, with an average return of, uh, with an average return on capital of four to five percent, it is therefore likely that R gets greater than G, which is like, you know, rate of return on capital greater than growth of income, will again become the norm in the 21st century as it had been throughout history until the eve of World War I. Mm. In the 20th century, it took two world wars to wipe away the past and significantly reduce the return on capital, thereby creating the illusion that the fundamental structural 
contradiction of capitalism have been overcome. Um, but the author says the right solution is a progressive annual tax on capital, right? On these extra wealth that people have sitting um, in their bank accounts or on stock markets, the things they're not using, but they're sitting there anyway. And so this will make it possible, the author says, to avoid an endless egalitarian spiral while preserving competition and incentives for new instances of primitive accumulation, giving people the chance to accumulate, to accumulate a cushion of wealth and with which they can educate their children or they can invest in the future. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. You know, the thing about it, thinking about it from an American perspective, because I know you're talking about it on a global level, but uh, as an American, I understand that there is this really large debate in society where like, you know, a lot of people are actually against taxation because they associate taxation with themselves being taxed. And like, this is a, mm -hmm. this is something that the wealthy have really spent a lot of money on trying to make right. people, for example, let me give you one example. There used to be something called that was called the estate tax in discourse in the mm. 1980s. And so people are like, yes, we are for an estate tax because when they think of the word estate, they think of something they don't have. They're thinking of something that a wealthy person has an estate. And so, yes, we should tax mm. that because we should distribute that money a little more equitably amongst people. If a really wealthy person dies, some of that money should go back mm -hmm. into society to help pay for schools and roads and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the controlling wealthy people changed the name of the estate tax in discourse to the death tax. And when people heard of the death tax, they're like, no, we don't want a death tax. That sounds terrible. And so like mm. the wealthiest people in society in America have actually slowly been tweaking and changing the way that people talk mm. and the way that people understand ideas so that they are scared of ideas that are actually going to help the right. people who need the help the most. And so like when you, when people talk about, oh, let's raise taxes, immediately some of the wealthiest people, they use their media empires to make people think that this is going to be bad for them. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it's good for most people. Right. They're so they only have they don't have access to whatever book you're reading, for example. Right, right. That's they, true. They, they're looking at the media on TV that's telling them that this is bad for them. And that media is owned by the people that they're trying to tax. Exactly. That's you got the point. The middle class, they pay almost all the taxes mm -hmm. and then the wealthy people they have really good lawyers that make it right. so that they don't pay many taxes they can move their companies to somewhere else yeah right and their policies uh, to help the tech industry grow mm. so that mm. they actually don't end up paying a lot mm. so if people know actually know about these i think they would support more of an idea we talked about this last week is that uh, these kind of things, they're in the best interest of the wealthy. Mm. And some of them realize that the wealthy have security guards mm -hmm. and they have compounds that are, you know, have like really excellent security. They realize that they are making themselves targets. Mm. And if they don't want to be targets, they want to be safe and they want the world to move on well together. Then it is in actually in their best interest that most people have their needs met. Right. And also, I mean, this brings me to third round of distribution, right, promoted mm -hmm. here in China, and also common prosperity, right? This is, you know, up to this point in history, it's very easy for people, at least here in China, to understand what the country has mm. been promoting, right? It's not out of nowhere that we heard, oh, hey, 
time for common prosperity now, <laughs> guys. <laughs> and of course, it's not like, you know, taking, I have to emphasize again and again, it's not about taking money strictly from the wealthy right, to give right. them to the poor. That does not work very well, right? For the poor to become um, richer, you need to find sustainable methods, sustainable ways to create employment, mm. right? For them to flourish. Because it's not just about dumping like um, a bag of cash to the poor. Yeah. That will help them for a little while, mm -hmm. but not in the long term. In the long term, you need to find them, like help them build a path on which they can, you know, keep climbing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not that. But, you know, part of it is about charity work. Maybe the wealthy should, you know, besides paying tax, uh, do a little bit more charity work to support the whole society here. May I intervene a little bit? You know, I agree to, with you to sure. some extent. I had a professor uh, in university. His name was Dr. Chikuri. Mm. And he actually convinced me that um, he helped me understand that what we need is a society where the the actual structure of society, and he's talking about government, mm. is, is built such that it helps wealth be distributed in a, a, you know, I don't know the exact means. I'm not talking, I know the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. like what you're saying this is extremely complicated mm. but like at the same time like it needs to be that the structure of society works so that wealth is distributed in such a way that charity is unnecessary and the reason he says this is mm. right now in america oftentimes wealthy people use the idea that charity exists as a cover mm. to allow wealth inequality to grow they say oh well i i gave to charity too i gave five million dollars to charity and i and don't so, have to pay much tax on that so Mm. Yeah. So so now I don't have to do anything because I've already given way more than you could possibly give. Mm. And this actually gets them off the hook mm. for like, you know, I don't want to villainize Bill Gates. He seems like a very nice guy, but, you know, <laughs> and he does do a lot of good around the world. But he right. also he has tens of billions of dollars that are still his then mm -hmm. he while he while he may have given away some billions of dollars like even a lot of it he still is he's still on the hook in my book he just, <laughs> you don't get a free free ride just because you you gave right. 10 billion dollars away when you have a hundred billion dollars 10 billion dollars doesn't matter to me right the, the society needs a lot more than that and also just as i mentioned this uh, mountains of private wealth like a human person like my grandma would always tell me you know um, back when she was around, that no matter how wealthy you are, you only get to eat three meals a day, right? You only mm -hmm. sleep, get to sleep on the bed of, you know, a certain length. And then when we die, you all become buried in this little, on this little plot of earth. So, I mean, to tell my grandma that, oh, this person has like, you know, um, 10 billion or 100 billion, you know, she would just shake her head. She's like, you know, I can't use that much money. <laughs> I only live to be like <laughs> 95. <laughs> so, um, and also this brings me, I know we're running out of time, just a little bit more. Mm. Um, poverty alleviation. I've, I've yet to, to study more on this subject. I'm very, very interested. Um, you know, after reading about uh, economic inequality and also poor economics, I start to understand more why in China, when they, uh, the work they do on poverty alleviation, there's always another term attached to the front of poverty alleviation, mm. and that is targeted mm. poverty mm. alleviation, mm. which means that you need to know the case. Mm. In each case, what you can do to help these poor people. Yeah. It's not about just giving them money. Right. How like developed world sending things bags of rice to um, bags of rice to, to third country world or 
um, the uh, like social benefit or hmm. welfare in some more developed states. They will help, but the long-term consequences might be unexpected. And that's not the way that they want to do this in China. Mm, they have mm. been doing this in China. No, they wanted to each solve each case, uh, you know, differently to see what this, what the people, what the villagers in this village, what can they produce? Right? What do they yeah, have yeah. in their natural environment that can help yeah. generate wealth for them? And they have these uh, local cadres, um, or local like uh, government mm -hmm. uh, workers, you know, the, at the very base level. At the very local level, that will visit each of these families and work with them to mm -hmm. find solutions. Um, and sometimes, as you mentioned, maybe the the villages just have to move out of the deep mountains, right, to somewhere closer mm -hmm. to the main roads or other places. They maybe they found mushrooms, you know, of a certain type that can actually generate uh, enough wealth to yeah. support a decent lifestyle. So it, it's always targeted. Poverty alleviation, you know, case by case. If I just heard you saying this one time, it might not be as impactful. So I'm hoping our listeners can have more patience mm -hmm. because after I heard about this idea 10 years ago, mm. I kept reading article after article after article in like the People's Daily and stuff mm. where they show, okay, such and such farm area here, mm. they're growing, you know, X, uh, you know, fruit or vegetable, and this has helped their community out of mm. poverty. And then I'd read a couple months later, you know, oh, this X community over here they they started growing you know like some kind of mushroom or tuber mm. or like tomato or, or raspberry or whatever it is and it helped mm. they were they were integrated into the local economy mm. and there were logistic networks set up for them to distribute this nationally right. and now they've been moved out of property which i saw this dozens and dozens of times mm. over the last 10 years and i was like oh okay i really kind of get it now because mm. i was forming this whole picture of all of these farms and communities around china that have been targeted mm. to help their community integrate into the national economy and sell something that was locally made right. or manufactured or or some sort of, you know, they're really good at making like a particular kind of hat even. Mm. Really, I've seen this kind of stuff. Right. And then it's sold on a national level. And so like all these communities mm -hmm. have been just slowly integrated very carefully into this giant network of transactions around the country, which have helped literally mm. hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. It's a lot of work. It's uh, so it's mm. not just people you know, dumping materials or money in front of these poor people's houses and say, hey, just use this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's, as you said, it's about integrating them into a bigger network, right? And also the word we're looking for, it's not just about not being poor or about being wealthy. I think the word that I like and the word um, that I uh, especially highlighted in the book, The Future of Capitalism, the word is to flourish, mm, right? Mm. It's not it's not just that humans need material goods. We need a sense of purpose, right? We need a sense that I can do something that's worthwhile, mm. right? I can yeah, see, yeah, not yeah. only do I have enough money to spend, but I'm producing something that people are willing to buy, yeah. right? I'm making something of my Self-worth. It's about, right. about that they have value of themselves. Right. I wasn't helped. I helped myself. Exactly. So that not only do I make a decent li living, but I, I don't have to go to go do anything bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have time to loot that train. Even if it's, you know, all the packages are waving at me. I, I'm busy selling my mushroom. 
As interesting as your thoughts are, we have to go. <laughs> let's do a third episode of this in the future. Okay. I wonder, Jason, I wonder how many words we actually say, like combined together in one episode, in one hour. Like, is it in the tenth of thousands of words? Certainly. And also, um, there's a book that I know, but I haven't read. It's called Closer to Heaven. Mm. I have to find out more details. I think it's a, maybe it's a guy from, is he from, is he from America? I'm not too sure. But it's a foreigner coming to China. And I think he did a lot of groundwork, you know, um, when it comes to poverty alleviation. And he wrote this book. I bought this like a long time ago, but I lost it. I don't know where it is. Maybe I'll buy a new copy. And, you know, you can read it too. It's You can mm. get it online. And we can, we have more material in, insights <laughs> when it comes to this. Okay, all right, I'm done. <laughs> Great talking with you. Thank and you, I Jason. hope our listeners learn something too. Yeah. All right, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye.